Good afternoon. This is Jean Nathan. It's Crosstown Conversations, and we have two experts on today to talk about developments in the creative industries in film and video in particular and in music. Uh, Carol Morton with the mayor's office uh, that handles film and video and media matters, and Ethan Elstad who is head of the Music and Cultural Coalition of New Orleans um, and one of the principals of that organization that helped change our live music regulations to rationalize them. We still have a ways to go, but it's a lot better. They're going to tell us what's up and how we're going to maintain uh, New Orleans and, and grow it as one of the leading creative centers in the country. So stay with us. One of the best examples of people in the creative fields coming together to help our city uh, come out of um, yet another challenge to our, you know, existential challenge to our, our city uh, was the group that came together as something called the Creative Response Network. Uh, made up initially of a number of arts organizations that, um, among other things, do uh, funding of, of arts initiatives in the city. And um, when the pandemic hit and we were all um, off the screen, out of the galleries, out of our shops, and there was a big concern about how our creators were going to make it through, a number of organizations came together and said, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to do what we can. And um, Ethan Elstadt with the, um, I'm not going to get your, your name exactly right. It's MACNO. Why don't you, um, it's the Music and Arts Coalition of New Orleans. Music and Culture Coalition of New Orleans. Close. I'm pretty close. Um, Ethan was one of those organizers that helped make that come together. So Ethan, take us back and, and tell us just you know, briefly how you all came together, because I wasn't there for that, that those opening um, initiatives. So I'd, I'd like you to share that with um, folks, because that, that's the critical part is how do you get that first initiative off the ground? Yeah. And, and you know, first, I want to be clear, you know, we were not one of the very initial founders of it, but we stepped in uh, pretty early on to get support for, for us. And because we were doing our emergency grants and um, the Creative Response Network had come together to address the issues that were really facing, you know, artists, musicians, culture bearers because of the pandemic. Um, and, you know, really, how do we collectively join forces to make sure the resources are getting out to the community so that we're in touch with each other and to figure out how collectively we can not just take a minute to support folks, which absolutely was needed, but then also build a longer term uh, support network moving forward, really grasping and realizing the power um, that collectively the arts have in New Orleans. Um, and it's a, that's a power that hasn't necessarily always been harnessed. Um, and, and also and a lot of- not recognized. Correct. And, and I think, you know, Internally, we recognize it, but I think externally, it's not always seen as um, the the massively important um, collection of of individuals and organizations uh, for the city um, from an institutional lens. And so, I think you know that was part of it. I really want to give credit to uh, folks like 
Gina Griffin, who was with Antenna at the time, um, Stephanie McKee from Junebug, um, I know uh, Asali Ecclesiastes from Mache, mm-hmm. uh, a number of other folks that were really on the ground floor helping get some of these networks and, and things together as a, as a part of Sierra and individually. Right. And so um, how did that happen? Did folks just kind of get on the phone and say, we need to do something to, together? Um, you know, give give me that moment in time when you the individuals recognize the power of coming together as a collaborative. Yeah, and I, I can certainly share how our story of getting and involved in a part of that really happened. You know, very early on in the pandemic, you know, everything had shut down and we were all kind of isolated you know, everyone was isolated kind of in, in home or trying to figure out how to make these connections, but also as arts organizations and service providers trying to figure out how we can rally support um, folks that we know are, are economically devastated, but also our own organizations, how do we move forward? How do we make sure we can continue? And so what, what really happened is, you know, everybody just kind of started to reach out to people that they know. And I remember initially it was just, you know, I was just on Zoom call after Zoom call of different groups of people kind of getting together, trying to figure out what's next. How do we grapple, you know, sharing stories, supporting each other. Um, and I was in one of those original calls, which was specifically largely with folks that, that are supporting musicians. And through that, we learned about another group of folks that were meeting, which was, I think, the genesis of the Creative Response Network. And so we also started to participate in those calls. And so I think really what happened was as more people learned about these these different initiatives, they kind of um, moved together. And so the Creative Response Network was really the largest um, and all-encompassing collective, I think, that that moved forward and continues to try to figure out how we move forward in um, New Orleans, in the region. In the region. And, and I think, you know, without the, the immediately pressing disaster happening, but also knowing that it I mean, realistically, in New Orleans, we're always kind of in between disasters, right? So we also get ready for something that's going to be happening. I mean, even now we've got, you know, this this heat wave that's got a, a number of, of other pressing challenges. So, you know, I think we need to be thinking continuously of, of how we move forward. I think Creative Response Network is a really great, um, you know, a really great apparatus in which folks can can get updates, we can figure out collectively a path forward um, to address these things in, in ways that we can as individual organizations. So, and and you know that I've said this um, many times, both uh, on calls with uh, other members of the CRN, uh, <laughs> um, it's not really a membership organization, but people who have been involved with it. Um, it this is the first time since I have lived here in 1972 is when I came here, that I have seen this kind of a massive collaborative effort. It it isn't that there haven't been people in the arts and in the creative fields that have come together around certain causes at certain times. But um, I I think it was, uh, it grew to over a hundred people who could at any time join a Zoom call and many subcommittees of people who had special projects that they were doing. I know our organization decided we did our thing um, that was basically um, uh, creating videotapes of artists and putting it online. So it was it was uh, artists and view, keeping people in view when their other um, uh, areas were closed and and everybody uh, a lot of different organizations had a lot of different in- initiatives 
but overall, um, the thing that is has the this great long term potential is joining financial resources and helping to um, bring money funding together that can increase um, uh, uh, support throughout the uh, creative sector. So, tell me about how um, this initial effort. Uh, really focused in on um, making sure that grants were available, that were joint. And then um, now looking forward, here's the hard part, is trying to see that longer term initiative uh, realized. And that's always, I've, I've been involved in a lot of um, you know crisis uh, interventions. And then when you come out of it and you have to decide, is this something that continues or not? That's the hard part. Yeah, and, and I think that's, long conversations that we've had in you know at crn um is really how to in some sense change the funding dynamic right so that resources are coming directly into um artists and creative communities you know arts organizations directly uh because realistically folks know where that money is needed right and we should be able in some sense to be able to control the the resources and where they go and not have to necessarily go to um, you know, large business entities, um, government, you know, and kind of sort of and, the tools and of industry right. and ask for the, mm -hmm. ask for the resources. Mm -hmm. They should so come I, directly to us. Let's get rid of the, the path through. That's one thing. Right. Uh, and and the philanthropies, the, even, even yeah. the philanthropies, um, um, they all have their special, uh, angles that they're interested in and not others. And, and, uh, it excludes, uh, things that people who are actually producing the arts and producing the art events know need, need help. That's right. And I think that's, you know, that's one big piece of it. And that really also came through some of the giving that, you know, collectively we're doing in relief funding is we, we as organizations knew the folks that needed the help. We knew what help kind of help they needed. We just didn't necessarily immediately have the resources to be able to do it. Um, so to eliminate that pass through of trying to ask somebody who can ask somebody who can ask somebody to get some money to, to folks um, would be tremendously helpful. I think the other piece that, uh, that CRN was really interested in, and I think really speaks well to the collective, was issues of, of race and gender equity. Um, that was a, a big focus. There was a, a group that was led, um, and forgive me if I'm leaving anybody out, but um, Laura Stein, Catherine Caldwell, Nick Sly, and a few other folks were really kind of leading discussions about how we address those issues, which are real within um, arts, arts funding, you know, arts organizations to make sure that we were really pushing to, to uh, build equity into everything that we did as an organization, the CRM, but also throughout the um, sort of arts ecosystem, for lack of a better term. How do you see this going forward now? Um, I, I know that uh, uh, there have been uh, uh, quite a few people who have hung in and are trying to push things forward. And um, you were able to secure some initial funding to support a startup effort to bring folks together. Um, let, let's say that continues and that goes forward and that's successful and, and we have somebody who's really committed to doing it. Then what? Yeah, I, I think it is in some sense realizing the discussions we're having and making them into reality, right? And all of these things are not easy topics or easy um, issues to address. Funding, equity, right? These are really large buckets of things that people have been talking about for a long time. So how do we as a collective move forward and start to make real progress in those and not just make it another meeting to talk about it, but rather um, activating. And I think that sort of phase two 
of what the collective is is working on. You know, it's great when people come together and get updates and and talk about what everybody's doing, but we need to take this sort of collective group, which to your point is not something that's that's been occurring all the time, and really take it to to create change and do it in, in a way that's not necessarily just incremental, but really hopefully create big change, right? Not getting a hundred thousand dollar grant, you know, getting a five million dollar grant, right? Like thinking of those levels of of change. Um, because that's really what's needed to get investment and to get, uh, you know, equity that we know that's needed within these communities. You know, um, the Creative Alliance, uh, not to uh, tout a horn, but just to say, we have been working on um, soliciting what we call best practices and, and looking in, in Googling mainly, of course, looking around at what's going on elsewhere. And um, we, we've got about this many pages of uh, ideas of what other folks are doing. And um, that's gonna be included in our uh, online version of our final report on the creative economy. I, but I think there's there's tons of examples out there, some from countries that are much more uh, committed to funding and understanding the importance to the economy of the arts, uh, but some smaller programs that have popped up in, in, in smaller markets like ours. And uh, it's really uh, um, great to see that we're we're not we're not um, working in a vacuum. That there's a lot of people who are thinking about this and trying to um, look for ways to go forward. What's the critical factor in the leadership that we need right now in New Orleans um, to to really break through and make sure that we realize our our full potential? I think. You know, it's one thing to bring in, uh, as you said, you know, the bigger dollar uh, commitments, but there's also a question of of recognizing, endorsing, or encouraging. I think some of the leaders that we do have to kind of take a bigger step. Yeah, um, you know, in my, in my opinion, one of the biggest, uh, you know, sort of things that folks need to understand is, is the. Is, is the fact that people that are doing the work know what they need, right? Is to have faith in the uh, knowledge that is in community and the organizations that are working directly with community um, and knowing the power there and also knowing that it's important to make sure resources are going there, whether or not a quote unquote product comes out of it, right? It's, it's supporting arts, it's supporting artists, it's supporting small businesses, um, certainly to, for economic development issues, but also because it's just, it's an important thing to do, right? We talk about, um, you know, in New Orleans, you talk all the time about, you know, the importance of music and culture and arts. Um, and yes, it's important to have that economic development lens, but it's also important to know that that's just part of, of who people are, right? It's part of people's identities. It's part of um, people's histories. It's a, certainly a, a part of, of the fabric of the city. And that's important whether or not it can be, a picture can be snapped of it and it can be put up on a billboard, right? That's important. And, you know, it's an intrinsic importance of, the city um, is making sure that people are able to continue to do that and also to continue to create and move things forward right um it should it's not a static thing art is not static culture is not static music is not static and for it to be able to grow uh it needs some resources in it right you've got to feed the roots to make the to make the tree grow and i think that's really what the importance is to make sure that we're getting that nourishment to the roots um, and continue to do so um, one of the things that you uh, took some leadership in your organization is is dealing with the sort of complex 
issue of live music outdoors. On the one hand, we all support it conceptually, um, but there have been instances where um, it has been intrusive to neighbors, especially in residential neighborhoods. And we'll talk more about this at another time, but I think it's important to use this as an example of what um, a, an organization can do in stepping up to achieve change in a specific area that has been problematic and, and where there are solutions that you could enumerate, but actually making it happen is another thing. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, one of the things I noticed about how you as the leader in your organization uh, and, and took the leadership on this, and, and, and actually this was one of the founding um, reasons and principles for your organization. But the thing that you did that, that impressed me is that you really, um, you really stepped up to dealing with the institutions, uh, particularly the city council in um, zeroing in on, on the process that you had to achieve to, to, uh, to get change, to get something actually done. Tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of what we do because the processes are often complex. They're not readily apparent um, and they can change with whomever is in those positions of power, right? And so it's learning how to navigate that and seeing um, really where the, you know, the bottlenecks of the process were, you know, for us, as we did outdoor live entertainment, it actually took three years to be able to get from the start of the issue all the way to getting it passed. And, you know, I don't want to go through the whole issue, but it really were, you know, things that were not readily apparent, right? It was an interpretation of zoning law that was the biggest bottleneck to get things done. And that took us, you know, a year and a half, a bunch of meetings, focus groups with city planning commission, with city council members to get through that process uh, to be able to rewrite some regulations that would, um, you know, that would basically open up ability for businesses to have outdoor live entertainment. And, you know, people don't necessarily always think about the intersection of land use and live music in the way that one decision can ultimately affect virtually every business in the city. So, you know, I think you see a little bit currently of the debate in that with with parklets moving forward is is there were a couple of things in, in the way that that um, ordinance was rewritten that ended up not doing exactly what people thought it would do. So now we've got to go back and, and relook at that to make sure that um, it's actually providing the the solution that people thought it was. Um, I will say the second piece, we were able to get the, the you know, the legislation passed to allow businesses to have outdoor live entertainment if they have a conditional use. Uh, but for us now, the second piece is it's been almost exactly a year since that legislation passed. So now it's going to be for us to check, is it actually working? Is it doing what was intended? And are there changes that need to be made? Is it, you know, what does the equity analysis look like? Who's actually applying? Who's getting approved? And all those things are really important as a second piece of crafting good policy. So for me, you've got to get the initial piece done, but you've got to do the follow-up because if it's not working as intended, then you've got to make those changes. And that's always been part of what I think the package of this change is. Well said. Um, well, I, I have uh, nothing but gratitude uh, for um, the efforts you've made. And I, I think, again, sometimes the really important thing is to recognize a, a model 
uh, that works when you see it and uh, and replicate it. So the way that you have gone about um, what you've done, I think you should write about it, um, Ethan, and and make it available as a um, a statement, if, if at the very least, an editorial column um, that talks about what you've been able to do and and how much more needs to be done, et cetera. But how important it is to just really uh, get in the weeds, so to speak, and 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 find those those blockages, those, those specific uh, issues, which if attacked directly make a, a big difference. So thank you for what you've done and uh, keep on keeping on as we say. And um, yeah, count, count me in um, to help when I can. Um, I've been talking to a lot of people this week uh, in my upper age group. I, I, I just celebrated a multi decade birthday this weekend very quietly because I didn't really need people to know how old I am or young, I should say, how young I am. But, um, you know, uh, uh, we're still at it. I think people who care about things just never stop. At least um, I'm comforting myself and knowing that I'm not the only one out here still at it. So thank you very much for your model. And um, uh, any closing thought that you want to share before I close off? No, I think thank you for having me on and, and thanks for recognizing CRN. And, I, you know, again, I just want to acknowledge all the other folks that have been a part of, you know, organizing CRN that have come to meetings, that have been in leadership roles, that have, that really people that came before me that really got things started um, and all the great work they've done, all the resources they've got. And I look forward to seeing how that continues. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You have thank a good you. weekend too. All right. Gosh, you're mighty. Yes, we can. I know we can. We can make it all. Oh, yeah, we can make it all. Carol Morton, who is the head of the mayor's office for the film industry, uh, film and video and media in general, um, and, and and she's my go-to person to understand what on earth is going on uh, when in, we're on a, uh, a, a upswing and when we have a, a pause, um, as we do right now in our um, industry with two major strikes. Two, they're international, right? They're not just national. No, they're national. Just national, okay. Um, but so they're, they're a pretty serious um, uh, events and um, some people find them to be just uh, an interference in, in their own um, lives if, if they are people working in the industry and others who um, depend on it in one way or another. And, and the ramifications of film work, which is something people in this state seem to have trouble understanding, are very broad because it, you know, it's not just people who are on a set filming at a given time. It's all kinds of production and construction and catering and, and lots and lots of ancillary work that is important for our economy. Um, but uh, the reasons for these strikes are, are deep. And I think that um, I want to start by just making sure that we honor the the issues that are drove thousands of actors and writers out on the streets. Um, so, Carol, uh, give me just a very brief um, description of ex exactly what the core issues are with this particular strike. So, the um, to really um, coalesce it into one. Uh, statement, it would be streaming services that, as we know, is disrupted 
the film and television industry in so many ways that have been wonderful. And then in other ways that have, uh, in the view of the workforce, the workers has not benefited them and actually has um, done the opposite is actually kind of taken away from them. And so to do just like a, a just a, an, a quick overview of what the issues are. Um, so when when streaming services really started to move into the film and television industry and not just streaming things but producing them is when the change really occurred and what has happened is there's been a, an erosion of compensation for the writers if you're looking at the writers uh, side of it as well as the actors uh, they're being paid less there is a refusal particularly by the streaming services it would seem to share uh, compensation via residuals. There's also a, a lack of protection against AI, which everyone from the producers, the writers, the directors, uh, the actors are concerned about. Um, and there's also, I think from what I understand, I believe, is a bit of a discord between the traditional studios and streaming services as to how to proceed, which I believe has made it difficult on their side to really come to an internal agreement because they operate a little bit differently. I mean, a lot the same, but differently. And there also um, is uh, the positions which seem pretty hardened in terms of the writers and the actors. So, yeah. I, I would assume that the hardening of the positions has to do with a sense that this is a, um, this, the, this particular disruption and, and the challenges are long-term and will affect their ability to uh, make a living and, and grow their careers. Um, uh, indefinitely and so it's 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 more than just um you know a, a penny or two an hour issue it is right. uh, yeah. a, a long term i call this existential i think this is like That's those what i wanted to use exactly yeah, yeah it's existential like it's their future it's it's how we move forward with the industry um it's all of those issues all the way across which honestly I believe makes it difficult for both sides because they are existential issues. And so they're attempting to address a lot, lot of major issues at one time and putting them to the forefront when we had a pandemic and everyone knows that when we went through the pandemic that increased the amount of content that was being created. So that was a tremendous, um, evolution, I suppose, in the industry that I saw, that we saw right here in the film office, we experienced it in a very positive way because they were filming here more and spending more money. But coming out of that, it's where do we go from here? Kind of a question, I think. So, and uh, so what it sounds like when you have a major disruption in an economic sector, it's really not just an industry, it's an economic sector. Mm -hmm. um, 
it, it's not something that, as, as we already have determined, going to be resolved overnight. The question is, how does a region like ours that had really kind of cl climbed up the ladder and found ways to, um, to, to really grow our percentage of the activity in this industry, and suddenly we're faced with this downturn, um, you know, are there ways that we can address this moment in time that's more productive than just saying, oh, gee, we're sorry, guy, that you don't have a job right now with a film. It, 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 there's, it, it just seems to me that uh, every, I, I tend to try to look for the silver lining in every negative development. In a lot of my newsletters, people know that I'm often saying, well, this is really getting worse, but you know what? The worse it gets, the better our chances of change that is positive. Because when it gets really bad, you got to do something about it. So yes. it's really bad. So yeah. are there any ways that we can promote the state officials and, and maybe some of the private interests that have, have a, a little bit bigger wallet somewhere um, to figure out how we can put some of our folks to work. It may not be the script writers for fiction movies. It may not be actors and actresses, but can't we put some of our videographers, uh, some of our production people to work on, let's say, doing... I always think that we don't market what we do in Louisiana sufficiently to help people understand the value and the importance of, of what we produce here, whether it's our cultural assets and activities or technological. And what if we did some documentaries, or I, I would actually call them even sort of infomercials based on t telling people what's going on here in terms of our confronting these technological issues and how we are dealing with them from an economic development standpoint. So I know that's how, I, I, you know, I know that's how I think. And I don't think, and I know we have bureaucracy. You're going to tell me right away, Gene, oh my God, the, the bureaucratic hurdles to getting that done and the financial hurdles are. But endless. not for marketing. So this is a whole nother issue that the, the hurdles really aren't that great. And so Louisiana, as a state has historically marketed the historic industry. So you're right, exactly right. They focus on oil, kind of on tech, but not heavy on tech. They promote, um, I, I don't know, like bringing factory type industry here. Um, and it, it just, it, it appeals to a certain, or it's an opportunity for a certain kind of workforce. And so on the state level, we have not really diversified our marketing in the same way that other states have. So what you're really talking about is marketing to the industries that are growing. You're talking about marketing to the industries that other states like Texas, Georgia, um, many other states are, are moving toward. So they're diversifying their portfolio of what they're marketing. And I think, and just to speak specifically about the film industry. The film industry has not, I mean, I, I think the state does an incredible job 
of managing and um, uh, securing the integrity of our film tax credit program. I cannot say enough about Louisiana Entertainment, which is what they are tasked to do. But marketing, and they do some marketing, they just uh, launched a beautiful, beautiful, amazing new website. But marketing is big and it takes a lot of entities that can come together and can agree, yes, we're gonna market it. So I actually have been working on that with our marketing agencies here in New Orleans and the New Orleans region is providing education about what the economic value is of the film industry. So people, film industry is something you know is here. You see them on the street when you see the trucks. Maybe you rent your house to them. You, somebody, you yourself or other people, your children, your friends, whoever work in the film industry or benefit from it. But it's like a word, it is a word of mouth thing. It's something you either see or someone you know explains to you. And that's not enough, that's not marketing, it's relying on word of mouth. And for a long time, I believed is that we are spent, the film industry literally spent $980 million in the New Orleans region. And by that, that's New Orleans and our immediately surrounding parishes. The year before that, in 2021. What year was that? 2022. Okay. Um, in uh, 20, 20 they spent a billion dollars and you have to look at what that means as a comparison so the country of ireland last year we had we did 980 million dollars the whole country of ireland brought in five hundred thousand dollars and that's where game of thrones it was filmed um, and all sorts of major films and tv shows they just don't have the volume that we have in new orleans new orleans is a major production hub so when they're here, they're cutting checks for $980 million. They don't make any money. They, there's no revenue attached to it for them. So they only spend money because how would they get revenue? They don't get revenue until the film or TV show is released on a streaming service or in theaters. So that's after they're packed up and they've left Louisiana. That's after they packed up and they left Georgia. That's after any place where they film. It doesn't matter where they film. They're not making any revenue. So they're only spending dollars. And that is remar a remarkable amount of money. And if you compare our region to other major cities, you could look at um, Dallas. They do about 25 million a year, city of Dallas. Um, New Mexico, which is a huge um, league growing, it's, it's growing in a huge way in terms of a production hub is still behind us at about 800 million. So we are doing incredibly well. We're number four in the country. I can't think of anything else, any other industry that we're fourth in, but we are number four and we have been for the last five years. I anticipate, and this is what I anticipate coming out of the strike. There's been increasingly an exodus from filming in Los Angeles due to high cost, and a very weak state tax credit for film industry. So it's high cost, uh, very difficult to film in neighborhoods. You really have to film on studios, much easier to film in neighborhoods in New Orleans or in Atlanta. And so there's been an increased exodus. Also, the trend is called the white lotus trend where everybody 
wants to see something that was filmed on location. And we are a top hub for location filming. So what you basically said is that attending to making sure this industry grows in Louisiana because it, it has demonstrated already how well it can do is really important. Therefore, I don't see why we don't get extremely creative, collaborative, and intentional about finding ways to um, use this time to how about doing two things combined with one, find other sources of temporary, let's call it gig income for many of the people in the industry. And at the same time, address our um, uh, thin, let's say an out of date marketing of what happened, what we do here. Yeah. Because you know, there's, there's still a major issue with people understanding Louisiana. There's still millions of people who think of us in the context of Dixieland traditional jazz, who yeah. don't, haven't caught up with the fact that every single era of music, blues, rhythm and blues, rock and roll, um, funk, um, uh, rock, um, uh, all kinds rap. of indigenous rap. kinds of music, rap, bounce, um, hip hop, all of that, we have been a leading uh, source of creative uh, talent in all those realms, just, just dealing with just music, but also um, in, in many other ways. I mean, you know, we are, we've lagged, we haven't moved as fast as we should have, but we are dealing with the issue of what kind of architecture and land use planning do we need to survive ocean rise and climate change, which are incontrovertible now. I mean, yeah. just one year it took for people to really get hit hard, whether, whether by fires or flooding or land loss to the climate change. Climate all change. Those, all those climate deniers, you know, I think are finally having to wake up. Anyway, why don't we, why don't we take this on in a very intentional way? Why don't you, Carol Morton, I'm, I'm calling you out. Yeah, call me out. Spelly and Nungesser and Lisa Alexis and Jeff Schwartz and uh, Joe Threat, all these people who have to keep things running, running. One or another in our state together to say, mm -hmm. how do we tell our story better in a moment when we have a lot of videographers and a lot of production people who mm -hmm. are not um, it directly involved in the strike, but are impacted by the strikes together to do something that would be beneficial. I don't know. That's the way I think. And, um, and, I, and I understand, as you said, there are huge bureaucratic hurdles, no doubt about it. And the time frame uh, it would take to make this happen could very well match with how much longer the um, people are going to be on strike. But well, what you're saying yeah. about how existential is the word you use, yeah. the 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 meaning of these uh, the the uh, the heart of these strikes are 
in terms of this, these huge disruptions in the industry, not related to the disruptions in a lot of industries. It's a, yes. we're, we're going through an era of disruptions. Let's face it, I, I, I've been taking to telling people lately, okay, I am really glad that I spent most of my life in the analog era. I would really not want to be 20 something right now and have to deal with the digital era for the rest of my life. Maybe that's just my, you know, really old fashioned take on what's going on. But anyway, um, I, I just think we, we need to be thinking very creatively and wouldn't one of the things that happened during the pandemic, I'm sorry, I'm going on here for a minute. Forgive okay. me. During the pandemic, a lot of people switched gears. People who were out in food trucks opened brick and mortar. People who were brick and mortar moved to food food trucks. Um, people who were doing theater in uh, theater houses got out on the street doing um, street performances. There were just all kinds of, you know, what were thought to be temporary adjustments that are turning out to be um, not necessarily permanent, but uh, recognition that there's other ways to do things not to mention of course the whole um you know work week change of people not necessarily being in an office and the uh, the articles that i read about how many millions of square feet of empty offices there are in new york right now is mind-boggling but it, again it is a symptom of a disruption so what do you think so um, I've been thinking about these issues for as it relates to the film industry, which where where I work. Um, so I, I think this is a, has been, and I don't like to use the word opportunity because it's an opportunity that unfortunately has not extended to most of the workforce here. I mean, we have several thousand people that aren't working in New Orleans because of because of the strike. So it's a lot of people and it's a lot of people who are used to working at a lot with a, a fairly, I mean, for Louisiana above average, at far above average salary. So what, I, what I've been thinking about it about is what are the um, deficits, I guess you could say, that we have in the film industry and probably the primary one would be we are solid when it comes to our workforce, to production, to hosting film, but where we need to improve, and I've taken this upon myself, is marketing. So we need marketing. We need um, organization. And I mentioned to you that I have worked to put together a coalition of film workforce providers in the state so that we can come under one umbrella and I modeled it off of, because I don't invent too many things, I, I guess I'm not that creative, but modeled it off of the Georgia Film Academy, which is very attractive to the studio executives and the studios. So we have formed a Louisiana Film Workforce Coalition. So that is one way that we can do it. And a part of that, um, our, our, um, a part of our mission is to market it as an organization with members and we have about 18 members of the organization and we will be marketing it together and also pursuing grants and funding but it's a great opportunity why is that because people want to know and understand 
who is working on film productions like our productions coming here are these major studios just Netflix come here and bring their Netflix people no there are no Netflix people there you know there's executives producers but they don't have a Netflix workforce and so they go to every single state and they go to states that have um, infrastructure film infrastructure and film crews because they can hire them and they're incentivized by certainly our tax credits to hire local even if they're not incentivized it's less expensive for them to hire people than fly them up from california and put them into a hotel room and then you don't know anything about your city so um yeah so i think it's educating people about how local i would say our, our workforce is 85 to 90 percent local in the new orleans region they only that bring in quite a sea change from the early yeah. days of the industry here when we did not have crews and yeah. uh, credit the uh, incentives with uh, bringing people here uh, for enough time and work that um, we were able to build um, stable uh, crews yes we have about 18 crews 16 to 18 crews which is extraordinary so um and i think it was a combination of the incentives and our workforce training programs that we have which also connect people i mean if you're a young person graduating from high school in the city of new orleans you don't know how to get a job on a film production there's no like place to go and so how do you connect people to those jobs how do you train them how do you teach them how to get a job um Rachel Reddick that works in my office came through Novak. She's a graduate of Xavier University and she was working as a PA and was working with Novak, who is our, our training partner in Film New Orleans. And that's how I um, found Rachel and hired her for the film office. So we are an ecosystem. We're a strong ecosystem um, consisting of people who graduate from high school, um, college graduates like Rachel and I, I, kids at Tulane, kids who didn't even graduate high school. I mean, it's an amazing, diverse workforce that we have. And that is one of the wonderful things and the match that the film industry has for the state of Louisiana, who doesn't have probably a high number of college graduates. I'm speaking out of terms. I don't know. We have great universities, so we must graduate quite a few of them. But everybody's looking for a job and a new career. and. I also feel very strongly that the state has to move toward modern industries. I mean, what are we leaving for our kids? Like you're talking about fossil fuels, for God's sake. I mean, we, it, it's, it's changing and the model is changing and you have to move with what the future is, not what the past or even sometimes the present is. So I think training kids, people, individuals for tech jobs, helping them connect them to those jobs and for the film industry i think people in louisiana know that that the film industry is a good thing but it's educating people of how is that how, where is the money where does it come from where does it stay it stays here in the state you you started this um last um uh, paragraph or so talking about um marketing yes so uh, let's go back to that. Exactly yeah. what do you advocate in the area of marketing and, and what is actually going on with that? Yeah, so 
I um, I will say mm -hmm. that our more marketing organizations in New Orleans are very interested in entering into this industry and to learn how they might market. And the question you just asked is so important because the same question that they ask is, who are we marketing to? Who is your audience? And there's two different audiences, like there generally is. It's a, it's the film industry is not like any other industry. I mean, Jeff Schwartz and I talk about this all the time. It's very different, has a very different model, but it doesn't mean that it's not a highly successful industry. It's just not structured like, um, you know, a, a, a typical company like Entergy would be. But so where are the jobs? Where is the value? Where is the return? And those are always the questions. And marketing companies need to understand those three things. Where is the value? What is the model? Where's the value to the state? And what is the return? You, you, once you understand all three of those things, then you understand that there's a local marketing, which I think um, Rachel Reddick's in my office is managing our Instagram account. And we're doing really well with that. We're adding uh, followers all the time. So that's talking to a local audience, right? What are we doing? What films are are in release right now that were filmed here. But the second level of marketing, which is also critically important, which is very unique probably in the state, is marketing as other cities and states are doing directly to the ind industry itself in LA. So I will, and I have gone on missions with Cristelli out to Los Angeles to meet with studio executives and streaming service executives and producers to reinforce the assets that the city and state has to attract film production. These are our assets. This is our workforce. This is our studios. This is what is available. This is our incredibly successful film tax credit program. This is what we're incentivizing. This is how this can benefit you. So we are working on that right now. And I think that in the next six months or so, people will start seeing a lot more film marketing um, opportunities. So you are basically doing, in a sense, what I'm, what I was just suggesting and talking about. The only difference uh, is um, I was suggesting putting some folks to work now in doing those marketing, visual marketing products that um, can go on Instagram, but can also. Uh, the infomercials that can run, let's say, on um, in, in uh, broadcast in uh, in another place in, in LA, in San Francisco, and so on. Yeah, um, this is this is really very interesting and and encouraging to hear. Um, I think that the more we can do in a little off moment like this to prepare, and 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 we're not the only ones. I'm sure yeah. Atlanta and um, the cat, uh, Toronto and New York, and I, I don't know who the other competitors are particularly, mm -hmm. but it's probably Chicago, I'm sure is in the game and so on. But um, beyond, way beyond us like half. Yeah, I mean, we're the game. They're trying to get in the game. <laughs> so that's the way but I would- When you're in the yeah. game and somebody else is trying to get into it, you better, yeah, yeah. You better be on your toes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, Carol. Well, um, I, uh, of course, support and, and wish you all the luck in the world and um, anything that um, uh, I can do in my small ways, um, I'm open to do. So keep me informed on what you're up to. 
Um, and I, um, I'm going to use uh, some of this material definitely in our strategic plan that we're doing. And um, in fact, one of our top recommendations is to expand uh, the marketing of the creative industries yeah. in New world Across so the board. And you pointed yeah. that out. It's not just film. And I think a lot of what I just said also applies to all of the creative industries, which is really, honestly, our greatest asset. I mean, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's been very frustrating uh, past few years to um, know that this is true. And yet still, for example, when I read the list of, of, of focus areas for our infrastructure, our federal infrastructure program, uh, just recently that was on the front page of i think it was the metro section of the paper um which i still read because every once in a while they, they, they i have to give it to stephanie regal by the way you should track her because yeah i mean there's people who cover your film industry uh who are knowledgeable about it but she's doing an economic development coverage that we haven't had in our papers in a long time but yeah. um, i think that uh it, it's really uh, a, a critical time for us to um, look for how uh, how we can convince our economic development, political, and business and community leadership to better understand how critical growing the creative industry in this market is to the economic future of this state altogether, because. Yep. It is one of the leading growth industries in the world globally. And there's a lot of competitors out there. There are people in places like Jackson, Mississippi or um, Denver, Colorado, who are doing a better job of, of, of making, working on attracting the creative industries in general, not necessarily yeah. to film. Than I know, they're... I see it. Yeah, I see it. I agree. And they're out front they're out front ahead of us. And I always like to say, without the actual content and without the talent that we have in the state of Louisiana. So um, I, I really do though believe, um, Jean, that people are waking up to this and seeing what, the, what we really have and what we should be doing with this. And I think you may see some things hopefully in the next six months of collaboration. And I can't say enough how critically important it is for collaboration, because not every entity either has the funding to realize a marketing campaign. Certainly the city tends not to, that's not their you know, major goal. It's to keep the lights on and permit and, uh, you know, police and safety. So it's a big stretch uh, to expect a city to like launch a whole marketing campaign. But a lot of times, like in the film industry, we have a lot going on here in the film office that we can give to someone. I can feed someone content, uh, contact information, uh, stories, connection, and uh, creative ideas. And I think we're getting there. I, I do think our economic development organizations at the state and locally are moving forward and, and seeing that we have to compete, at least in my field, at least in the film and the creative industries. We're not there, Gene. We're not there, so you can't give up. But we're on the way, I believe. Carol, I believe you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I do thank believe you. you. 
So the two words that struck me as really critical, collaboration and marketing. And both of those are important uh, parts of our leading recommendations in the strategic plan that the Creative Alliance has been working on and is finishing up. And I um, look forward to um, us bringing out some of those recommendations for community consideration and then uh, further um, involvement with the city. So uh, this is Jean Nathan. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time.